The Tiger Tamer Who Went to Sea from History Extra charts the life of a remarkable Victorian, Britain's original long-distance wheelbarrow pedestrian. New episodes are out every Thursday or listen to the whole series immediately ad-free by subscribing to History Extra Plus on Apple Podcasts or listening on historyextra.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Learn more at bluehost.com slash wondersuite. university they will never have been taught by a black professor or a professor of color Mm. which i think is you know when you think about it in in terms of those kinds of experiences that is absolutely shocking that was sadia qureshi talking about black and asian historians in the uk Listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine. We're the UK's best selling history magazine, available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History Magazine. Late last year, Olivetta Telly of Bath Spa University became Britain's first ever female black professor of history. This milestone occurred at a time when the ethnic makeup of British history teaching has been under intense scrutiny, especially in light of a Royal Historical Society report that highlighted significant inequalities. We invited Olivet into our studio to explore these issues, alongside Dr Sadia Qureshi, who is Senior Lecturer in Modern History at the University of Birmingham. Putting the questions to them was our deputy editor, Charlotte Hodgman. So thank you both of you for coming in to chat with us today. 
perhaps we could just start, um, Sada, you were involved with the, the recent Royal Historical Society um, report. What's the sort of background to the report? Why was it done and, and you know, how did it take place? Who, who was asked? A couple of years ago, the Royal Historical Society commissioned a report on gender and it was examining in particular women's experiences within um, the historical profession. And then recently we've had a new president, Margot Finn, appointed and she was very, very keen to follow up on that report with a second one on gender but also a new one on race. Mm -hmm. So it's a broader attempt by the Royal Historical Society to to look into various kinds of inequality within the profession. Okay, Um, and some of the findings were probably quite surprising to a lot of people. Um, One of the findings was that only 11% of undergrad history students in the UK come from black minority and ethnic backgrounds, which is quite a smaller, you know, percentage of of students. Um, Were you surprised by anything that, that came out? I don't think I was surprised by the figures because I've paid attention to them for a very long time and that's partly why I was invited to take part with the report. What I was surprised were was the effect of putting it all together and combining it with the results of the surveys that we did. Mm. And it was really quite harrowing reading through some of the kind of responses that we had from people about their experiences. And to me, that was the most kind of shocking aspect. But also, the other thing that did surprise me were that there were several responses to the survey that raised the question of why the RHS was even bothering with it. And that I did... I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised that people had bothered to fill out a survey when they thought it was a complete waste of time. Yeah. Um, and there were there were not too many, but there were a few really quite racist, like racist responses. So I found that upsetting and surprising. But overall, I think there's been massive support for the whole process, both in terms of the number of people that replied, because there were over 700 respondents, mm. and in terms of trying to make something happen as a result of the report's publication. Yeah, yeah. Olivette, you must have seen the, some of the, res- the results from the, the report. What did what did you make of it? Um, I, I wasn't surprised. Mm. Uh, it, it was uh, very important for me to see that uh, report out because it's basically um, show what a lot of us have been talking about and it turned what we've we've we thought what people thought to be anecdotes into something that is documented and kind of official because yeah. it's a report and it it meant that now we can work on uh, doing something about these things not just individual levels but institutions and um, and as groups so yes yeah. I mean, is this something that's spoken about in in sort of history departments? Is it an acknowledged fact that that you know that that the the, the ratio is of of BME students is so low? Is it acknowledged? Not everywhere. Mm. We know, but we just don't talk about it. And in fact, the people who are talking about it in certain places are the ones who are ostracised. Mm. Um, you know, because it become it falls on the burden to do something. Um, becomes yours, yeah. yours who sometimes is the discriminated one. In my experience, people tend not to notice until they're forced to acknowledge it in some way or another. Um, but when those concerns and questions are raised, people are often very, very upset and very self-defensive because they act on a kind of very individual basis and say, but it, the problem isn't me. Yeah. And so I think it's a very, very difficult thing for people to talk about and to discuss. And so I think it does tend to be, uh, to go uh, go unacknowledged or denied entirely. Mm. So why, why do you think 
that that this is the case that so few BME students are taking history because it, it actually goes back further than just university. I think uh, sort of GCC and A level numbers are also quite low. Why is that? Is it is it to do with what we're teaching in schools, um, or, or is there you know something else that's going on? Probably a combination of reasons, mm. and it depends on the context as well. In some places, actually, history is a popular topic, uh, especially when it's related to people's uh, communities and people's history. Uh, in some places in London, they're quite uh, keen to talk about uh, Black British mm. uh, history. In other places like Wales, where I, I do live, we, we never talk about it. It's not it's not taught in classes um, it's not part of what they call regional history. Yeah. So the numbers are the, the number vary, but what I would say is that there's there's this idea that um, who teaches you matters just as much as what is taught. So uh, if you can't see yourself or or have people who um, who look like you uh, talking about histories that matters to you, then people will tend to move away from that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, these are just one. One of the many reasons, I'd say. Yeah, because that was another finding, wasn't it? That academics as well, um, of BME, academics are very underrepresented as well in, in universities. What have your, been your experiences, both of you, you know, in your career? Have you have you sort of faced discrimination or sort of bias against you? I'm, you're smiling. I'm, I'm guessing that this is a, a yes. Go on. I think we both have. And I, yeah, honest, yes. honestly, I'd be quite surprised if any academic of colour hadn't at least experienced microaggressions and so on. And for most, as the report shows, over a third of ex- have experienced something beyond that in terms of abuse mm. or more extensive discrimination. So I think it is actually quite pervasive um, and it manifests itself in many many different ways in terms of both individual experiences, but also structurally. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Olivet just this year has become the first black uh, woman to be made a professor of history in the UK, which is an extraordinary achievement mm-hmm. and wonderful. But also, it's 2018. This is absolutely shocking. And I think it's a national disgrace that it hasn't happened earlier, uh, both in Olivet's career, but more broadly. And that is something that I think very few people understood no. when that happened, uh, the significance of that. Likewise, Hakeem Adi, the first black professor, um, was only made professor a few years ago. I don't know the exact date. But, you know, for, so for most students of history that have ever read this subject at university, they will never have been taught by a black professor or a professor of colour, mm. which I think is, you know, when you think about it in those, in terms of those kinds of experiences, that is absolutely shocking. Yes, I completely agree. And I would say that um, people seem to be surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm probably less um, perhaps kind that, that, that you, when you say that it tend to not notice. I think they notice, but academia is also a place where there's a lot of competition. It's very hard to have a permanent post and all that. So the issue of race are, for me, people know, but it's just, it's just so competitive that yeah. race, among other things, comes on top of that. And I would say that um, as far as students not being able to identify this, uh, students of colour, they have, they yeah. notice things and they move away precisely uh, from the subject because it's, they, you know, consciously or unconsciously, they, they just decide it's not for them. 
Yeah, because I mean the first the first female professor I think was I looked it up and it was it's we sort of got ninety odd years seventy ninety odd years ago I think it was we had the first female professor in British University and like you say it's taken till twenty eighteen. I mean, congratulations. I mean, it's, it's like, like Sadia says, it's a great achievement, but it has taken so such a long time. I think 2018 is particularly important because it's 20 years since the first women of colour became professors mm. at all in any subject, which are Heidi Mirza and Lola Young. And so it's taken 20 years, uh, you know, 70 years longer than it took for any women mm. to become professor and then another 20 years within history. So this is a very, very serious problem across academia. But it is particularly bad within history, as the RHS report shows, that as a discipline, it's significantly more problematic than than yeah. others. Have you found that being a woman of colour, do you find that you um, it's it's harder to, to get on as an academic than perhaps a man of colour? Do you think you've got that additional kind of bias and perhaps discrimination as well? Um, I'd probably say yes, but it works for not just for academia. Mm, okay. uh, people would, would in, in any any really profession... If if you look across, I don't know, the media or things like that, you will find first a man of colour mm. and way, way later on, they will hire a woman of colour. Yeah. So it, there's this sexist, racist thing going on that uh, seems to be... Not accepted, but as 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 the norm. I don't I don't know why. I don't understand why, and I completely disagree. But this is how how it works. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Oliver, you studied in France. Um, is is it similar situation there? Is is this just a British thing, or um, is it similar? It's a. You know, I always say that France as a whole uh, has a, a high number of racists, mm. um, but in academia things are completely different. The the way the way uh, you enter into academia, um, the system is fair in the sense that it's a national um, uh, kind of a national recruitment, national exam. Mm. It means that people who are likely to recruit you are not necessarily people you know or who are around you. And it's about a jury of 20 people. And if there is collusion, it becomes really harder. And once you have that post, uh, it's based on very precise things as the number of, you know, publications, uh, the number of years of um, admin duties. And it's very precise, not on somebody's feelings about whoever you are, which means that there's a higher number of academics of colour and black people academics, um, which is quite surprising given the fact that um, France is, is known as to be to be institutionally racist. Yeah. Uh, but in academia, it doesn't work that way. So, do you think? Do you think the the sort of the system needs to change? Do you think is that is that partly at fault in in Britain? I think so. Mm. I th- I think that this idea that um, it's to, you know some sometimes it's to do with uh, people liking you or not liking you or their feelings mm. uh, about your color is completely ridiculous and and I don't understand it. Mm. What, what would you like to see change, Sadia? Anything? Sort of, do you think? You know, obviously not a, a quick fix, but you know, what can be done? Do you think by universities um, to kind of to help kind of make things more equal? Well, the report sets out various kinds of recommendations that can happen at various kinds of le- at various levels. So, for instance, one of the things that absolutely needs to happen is that students of colour need 
much, much better support while they're at university. Um, There's an enormous attainment gap between white students and and those of colour in terms of the the number achieving first. They're about as equally likely to get two ones, but the number achieving first. And so, you know, better attention needs to be paid there. But we also ran a focus group as part of putting the race report together. And students were very clear that the subject needs to be made more relevant to them and more Mm. interesting. They are completely and utterly put off by the curriculum, which they see as heavily dominated by Eurocentrism and whiteness uh, in very, very damaging ways. So it needs to be changed both at the level of university curricula, but earlier on. Mm. The recruitment processes need to change there needs to be much better support. People need to be hired. Staff of colour need to be hired to provide the role models that these students want. And those and the staff that are there, as well as new recruits, need to much, much better support to develop their careers. For instance, one of the things that often happens to staff of colour is that they get asked to do all sorts of diversity work, which is effectively asking them to fix their own oppression, while people who are not marginalised mm. don't have to do this work. And it's often dismissed with respect to prestige or promotion and so on. Um, But it's very, very hard work. And at the same time, there's a lot of additional labour involved in being an academic of colour because of the support that students ask us for. So there's lots of ways that things could be made significantly better, quite quite easily, actually. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I mean, has anything improved, do you think? I mean, the report only came out a couple of months ago in October. But do you think over the last few years, things have got better in in any sort of sense, you know, around this topic? The numbers are very, very slowly improved. Mm. So that's a form of progress. And we have individual promotions that are forms of progress. But structurally and institutionally, there's been very little change. And that's what needs to change to create a much, much kind of more comprehensive um, transformation that's needed.
Yes, I completely agree. And I would say that uh, the burden of, of working on oppression, there's also um, uh, gender. Uh, women are expected in academia, many women are expected to sort out uh, student problems as in listen you know they're supposedly better listeners so um so you have being a woman of color mm. where you ask that extra bit to do and we also know that uh, in terms of numbers uh, women of color are less likely to be in permanent post so there's this precarity as well that goes with it mm. um so yeah the structure yeah. needs to change so in your own personal careers do you think being a, a woman of colour in academia today is is better than when you were first starting out? <laughs> um, this is interesting because um, throughout my career, I've always, always been supported by many women from various backgrounds. Mm. And that hasn't changed. They've, they've remained constant. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think that on that side something majorly important has changed. What has changed is uh, being able to tell men through that report that this is what's happening. Mm. Look at this. Now it's your turn to do something, not just hire behind. Uh, we're all academics. Uh, so um, we, we know for a fact that, for example, um, mothers as well have a harder time in academia um, to to cope with with a level of duties, and therefore, in terms of promotion, their career is slower because yeah. they're mothers, because they're women of color, and because they're women, yeah. uh, generally. So, as I said, having that report is wonderful. Yeah. You know. So you're 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 hopeful that things will change as a result that this report will be taken seriously and it'll be and the the recommendations that have been made will sort of be listened to and and read by universities are you hopeful for that do you think it will within days of the report's publication there was national press coverage but also many institutions had been in touch with the RHS asking if they could hold events and so on mm. so i think there will be a flurry of activity and i think there will be all sorts of change but whether that change translates into long term institutional and structural changes that benefit academics, uh, staff, students of colour is a different matter. Mm. I think there will be changes and I think I'm hoping many of them will be positive. But m making sure that that initial enthusiasm translate in translates into structural change, I think, is something that the RHS will... Keep paying, will need to keep paying attention yeah. to and the institutions will need to keep paying attention to. There's one thing I would say is the um, the equality, is it the the national equality? No, the, the there's there's work being done or commissioned. Is it in December that universities are supposed to show their um, a kind of ethnicity racial pay gap? Yes, yeah, and and that is is quite important as well because it needs to be part of this conversation. Yeah, because uh, yeah. there was a recent report, wasn't there? Um, and that was I think it was. 22 leading universities. There was a survey, I think, by the BBC. I'm not quite yes, sure. Yes, yeah. um, yes. And that was quite surprising. I mean, were you surprised by the, the, the gap? I mean, like an average of 26%? Not at all. I wasn't surprised at all. What was interesting for me is that uh, Rihanna, I know her, mm. focused on Russell Groups. Yes. Uh, Russell Group. And that is a first step. Now we need to look at other universities um, who are hiding behind, oh, we're too small, we're not part of the result, to do all sorts of things. So it needs to be national. But that initial report was 
incredibly important and is still incredibly important to start that conversation as well as well as uh, the others. Um, the Russell Group, they're they're it's uh, the twenty four leading universities, isn't it? Um, Research intensive universities. That, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think twenty two of those responded to the survey, and that's that's how they got the this, that average of twenty six percent, and even less. For, for I think it was even more of a gap for females. Yes. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's um very yeah, it's a, a big a big gap. Looking at schools now, do you think changing the curriculum as you know as early sort of primary school and and having more kind of global history, you know, focusing on that in in the classroom? Do you think that's going to help increase numbers? Um, so do you think we need to go back that? It's that early in in children's sort of school careers to kind of get to get more people into into sort of studying history and and humanities. I think getting children involved and interested in history as young as possible is really mm. really important. And there are many ways that that can be done, whether that's through the school curriculum or whether it's through history TV programming, for instance. I was um, last weekend. I was at a talk where. There, were just, there was a room full of children watching a TV presenter um, give a talk about history, and it was wonderful to see them so excited at, you know, at that kind of age. And the important thing is not just to g- get them interested in the first place, but keep them interested by telling them um, about a varied range of histories that they may never otherwise encounter. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yes, I, I believe that too. We completely agree. Um, uh, not marginalised history as well. Certain histories uh, really show them that, uh, you know, the history that concerns people of colour is also part of British history. So it's global history, but it's also national history. And they, they, they're very receptive. And once they, they kind of integrated that, it just it just it just grows, which means that by the time they reach secondary school, they're not going to tell you that this is a special kind of history. It's just part of their history yeah. as well. Yeah. Um. Is I mean, is there anything else in the report that you think that you would like to highlight um, as being particularly sort of significant? There are so many things that I think are important about mm. the report. I think one of the most important is the insistence that this is a shared task that must be shared by everyone um, across academia and that many people who have previously not paid attention to these things now need not only to start noticing but to start contributing labour. And that's the only way that this will change structurally if people pay attention and then it needs to be a sustained effort. Um, And I think one of the other really, really important points is that we need to get away from the idea that it's possible that universities are somehow spaces that exist outside of society's broader prejudices. I think academics especially like to think of themselves on the whole as being intelligent, liberal and so on, Mm. and somehow free from the kind of prejudices we're talking about. And that is absolutely not the case. You can't walk onto a university campus and leave behind all the kind of social conditioning that we that we experience and are subject to outside of campuses and it need that really needs to be taken seriously um that universities are not these kind of pure objective spaces in which discrimination can never yeah. possibly flourish to me that's one of the most important things yeah because you sort of think of these them as these sort of safe spaces like you say um but it, by the sounds of it it's not it's not the case for not for many many people no. yeah um do you think this sort of discrimination and bias does it does it extend beyond academia and into when you're 
trying to get published, um, events, speaking at events. Have you experienced anything along those lines outside of the sort of university space? Um, I would I would say two things. Just to come back to your last comment mm. about um, you know universities being not being those safe spaces, we've seen recently students being discriminated against in main national headlines. Um, you know, students of colour, yeah. and it's damaging. And at the time when we're talking a lot about um, questions of um, suicide in campuses and things like that, I think we need to have that conversation as well. What it does, people being isolated and not being able to reach out mm. uh, when they need help. There's a me- mental health issue, but there's also uh, the accumulation of mental health and racism uh, that, that, that makes people do things, but also leave academia altogether. Um, so we need to talk about that. Um, in terms of us um, encountering discrimination, it's, it's always there. Mm. You know, in terms of publishing, um, I'll, I'll talk now as a, as a French speaker and French is my first language. I would say that there's discrimination there because the assumption is you can't really write English properly right. yeah. and therefore you're discarded before you started. Um, there's the big uh, publishers, um, as in the big, I, I won't name names, mm. that um, are not expecting you to send them uh, papers. And I know from experience that uh, you have to go through a network of people to actually get published sometimes. And it's difficult because if you don't have that network, because, well, obviously you didn't build your career here, it becomes harder. And I'm thinking about um, those academics of colour who are working a lot with communities who have an, an enormous amount of uh, information and knowledge that is not considered to be academic enough to be published. And I find it heartbreaking because this we're missing out. The profession is missing out on a wealth of information. Yeah, I think there are often very unhelpful and rigid distinctions drawn between academic history, public history, community history, for instance, that often marginalises people of colour because they might not have been to the most elite institutions. They might not um, have built up the most prestigious networks and so on. And even when they have, I mean, I went to an extremely prestigious institution for my education, there are still barriers that one faces. Mm. So I think... You know, it's it's a it's a very very difficult environment for people to establish themselves, especially when uh, precarity is becoming increasingly kind of difficult to negotiate within the profession, and then uh, sec- to secure jobs and so on. That was Professor Olivet Otelli and Dr. Sadia Qureshi in conversation with our deputy editor Charlotte Hodgman, and look out for video clips of this discussion, which will appear soon at our website, historyextra.com. And we've now reached the end of today's episode, but we will be back on Thursday to discuss the history of the Holocaust. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast.